just want to pause for a minute, um, and I want to just share what I want to call a pastoral word on the election. Um, I'm talking about all the stuff that's happening this week and this month. This is probably the most important thing happening uh, in the world, we could say, uh, this coming week. And uh, I just want to make a, a few comments um, regarding how Scripture would lead us to think. And let me just remind us, that is the source of how we approach anything in life. We know that all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for how a Christian should think about even a 21st century Christian living in a unique form of government of the people, by the people, for the people. That's never existed. And Scripture is still sufficient to speak into how we could and how we should approach something like that as citizens of heaven, living as pilgrims here in the United States of America. Let me just say a prayer before I share anything. Lord, we just ask that you would soften our hearts to your word and give us uh, Lord, as we are going to talk about a few of these things, just give us a, a focus that's on you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. A um, little pre-sermon, a little pre-sermon prayer, a little pre-sermon word here. But, but sincerely, this, this is just a few things I want to share in my heart. Just three points. The first thing I want to talk about is the responsibility of Christians. That's, that's the first idea that I want to express, the responsibility of Christians. Uh, scripture gives a precedent, puts upon us, it's incumbent upon us as those who are followers of Jesus representing a, a greater kingdom. Uh, scripture puts upon, uh, upon us as citizens of that kingdom to be those that are concerned for the communities, the cultures, and the countries to which God has called us to live our lives and raise our families. A great example of this is even seen in the Old Testament when God tells Israel to seek the peace of the nation to which I have called you. Uh, we are called to labor in, in the communities that God has put us in. This is the heritage of the church, uh, not just those that live within these four walls, but we are called to be those that labor for righteousness. Our prayer that Jesus gave us is this, that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done. We could say this, in America, as it is in heaven. That should be near and dear to our hearts. Even more so, you have this responsibility towards that in the kind of government and nation within which we exist. Now, Romans 13, I just want to say, if you read Romans 13, you get a clear idea that God has a purpose for human governments. Uh, and, and if it's summarized in a big idea, you would see this in Romans 13. You see this also throughout history, that God's vision for human government is to promote good and punish evil. To promote good and punish evil. Now, throughout history, Christians have still labored for good and labored against evil in whatever form that takes, despite who was in power. There have been times in history, in fact, in Romans when Paul's writing that, Nero is on the throne but Christians were still called to fight for good and fight against evil. Now, we um, live in a unique time where, as citizens of our democracy, we're not just those that are governed by those who promote good and who are called to punish evil, but we have a voice. We have a vote. We're not just the governed. We, in a sense, are the governing. 
We have a response. The government in Romans 13 is us. It's of the people. It's by the people. It's for the people. And so with that unique opportunity, this is just, you're like, I know this. This is like Christians and civic involvement 101. But just want to remind you that you're a citizen of heaven and you are called, I am called by God, especially with this unique opportunity to be someone who is laboring for righteousness in this way, seeing my vote, listen, as a stewardship as a stewardship that God has graciously given me to labor for that righteousness in my nation. And the way that we determine what righteousness is. We're going to read today in Jonah about a people that can't tell the difference between their right hand or their left hand when it comes to what's right or wrong. Um, as followers of Jesus who have been enlightened by the Spirit and gifted with the compass of God's word, there is no question about darkness and light. There is clarity there is righteousness and there is unrighteousness. There is good and there is evil. God separated those two things from the very beginning. And since that time, the enemy and all these other forces have been seeking to blend them together into some hodgepodge kind of gray area of subjective morality. And so there is truth when it comes to what's right and what's wrong. And scripture informs us of that. Now, there is that responsibility. And scripture, let me say this, it legitimizes human government's role in that. But I want to talk secondly, the first was the responsibility of Christians. Number two is the limits of government. I want to say this, the limits of government. Uh, scripture will legitimize human government, and it will legitimize in our context. It's important. Let me say this. It's important who's in office. But it's not so important as to being the thing that we trust in to do what only God can do. There are limits to what human government can accomplish. Human government can create helpful policies versus destructive policies. But human government cannot do what only the gospel of Jesus can. This is really important, the limits of human government. The love of God through the display through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I know there is no gospel unless you're calling out sin. So, so there, is, there needs to be a, a, a clear uh, proclamation of what falling away from God looks like. But, but it's not policy that changes the human heart. It's the gospel. There's limits to government. A new policy, a new president can't make a person new. It can't bring revival in America. It won't do what only the gospel can do. A, a, new, a, new, uh, a new political party or your political party winning this battle on Tuesday is not going to give your neighbor the eternal purpose that only Jesus can. There are limits to human government. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Um, remember Jesus when he's asked by his disciples about who they should, what they should do about their taxes, right? And Jesus goes, it's really simple. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to God what's God's. And the great Rabbi Zacharias even talked about the insight of that. Uh, the coin had the inscription and the image that Jesus asked about of Caesar on it. It belonged to Caesar. And, and Jesus kind of, without, without saying it, is suggesting God's image is on you. You belong to God. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to God's what's his. I think there's this temptation. That's why it's important to make this comment about the limit of government. There's this temptation to make what's God's Caesar's. And this was the mantra of the early church. Listen, Caesar is not Lord. They gave their lives for this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Render to God's what's God's. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. Okay? 
Get involved. Have fun. Okay? Do your best. Labor for righteousness as you search out the life and the ministry of Jesus. But render to God's what's God's. The government can't do what only the gospel can. All right? And then lastly, um, I want to just say, with, again, with this pre-sermon, uh, is the last point is about the sovereignty of God. All right, so a quick word here from my heart. The responsibility of Christians, the limits of government, the government can't do what only the gospel can, and the sovereignty of God. Um, Charles Spurgeon said that the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which every Christian rests their head. The sovereignty of God speaks to the ultimate, eternal, unquestionable, Rule and reign of God over all history. We sang right as we came in perfectly that he is, Jesus is the only king forever. The sovereignty of God should inform, listen, where my hope and my security lies based on what happens this Tuesday. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to be happy if your guy wins or sad if the other guy loses. It's okay to feel human emotions. But what I've noticed as a tendency in my life, and I've seen this as a trend in the church around me, especially through social media, is this subtle but profound idolatry of fear. What if they win? What if they don't win? What if, what if, what if, what if? And we kind of go, yeah, I know God is sovereign. I'm going to post that. Jesus is still king, despite who's the president. Okay, like I know that saying. Everyone says it. But where does your hope really lie? Does it lie in who fills that seat for the next four years? I'm not saying there's not a significant election coming up. But what I'm saying is what, what, what pillow do you rest your head upon? Where, do, where is your security found? Is it, is it truly found in who's in office, or is it found in the one who determines at the end of the day in his own sovereign way who's in office? In his own way that we don't always understand, but in his own sovereign way. When we speak of the sovereignty of God, we're talking about this idea that, that Revelation says that one day every kingdom of this world will become his. Every single president, ruler, dictator, every single one of us will one day bow our knees to King Jesus. That's the eternal kingdom. That's the kingdom of which we are citizens. That's the kingdom that should inform our responsibility in how we vote, but also the limits, our understanding of the limits of human government. It can't do what only the gospel can, and ultimately the sovereignty of God, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. But now more than ever is the time for the church to rise up with a spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind. Amen? Amen? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Jake.